Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you, Gamecock fans, June 11th. Gamecock fans, other fans, we welcome all here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. But if you don't want to talk about the Garnet and Black or hear about the Garnet and Black, this podcast probably isn't for you. Uh, although, you know, I know that uh, sometimes uh, when you have a rival program or in-state rivals that uh, some of our Clemson folks keep up with the Gamecocks pretty well. And some of the Gamecocks keep up with Clemson pretty well, and they listen to the alternate media. So if you like to to wear orange and white and purple, we welcome you in as well. Thanks for listening. Uh, I also want to thank all the listeners out there. Uh, It's been a good week, uh, a good little run here for the podcast, both this one and J.C. and Morgan. Reminder, on the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast, an exclusive interview with Shane Beamer. Uh, yesterday with Mike and I, it, it went well. It was kind of a different type of interview. If you've heard him on JB and Goldwater this week, we ask a different set of questions uh, to not double up. And uh, certainly if you guys uh, want to listen, uh, you can get that right here where you get this on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Audible, iHeartRadio app. JC and Morgan goes out to more. I, I don't think this one's on anything but Audible, Spotify, Apple, and then on 24-7 Sports. But uh, certainly, if you uh, if you want to listen to that interview, go check it out um, right there. I, I would have run it here on this one, but it's kind of for that podcast. So, you know, not to make you like click more times than you have to, God forbid, but uh, go check that one out. Big news in college football yesterday, and and also on J.C. Morgan, Mike, and I talked about this briefly. We got to dig into it a little more because the news sort of broke while we were recording or right after we recorded. It was just speculation at the time, but there's a recommendation in place for a 12-team college football playoff. Now, you know, this is met with a lot of skepticism from some folks, uh, and it kind of just depends on uh, outside of a handful of people, Uh, where your allegiances lie. Uh, You know, I know Josh Pate isn't allegiant to any school. Uh, He just loves the the sport and he calls it like it is. And I know he's anti-playoff and said, you know, the access issue uh, that some people have isn't because, you know, the playoff doesn't have enough teams. It's because you didn't make good hires and your program's not good. And I think there's some truth to that. Uh, I think that, You know, when you look at a program like Florida State or a program like Southern California, I used to put Tennessee in this category, but it's been 12 years and, uh, you know, good things have ceased to happen in Knoxville. So uh, we'll take those guys off. Uh, Texas, you know, schools like that, you know, he's right. I mean, it's because you've made bad hires. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that anybody in the country thought Tom Herman was a bad hire at Texas. Uh, and he won, but just not at the level they wanted to win. Uh, and so Steve Sarkeesian gets his turn at the, uh, up at bat out there. Um, you know, so he's got a good point. I think others got a good point. I myself have never been, you know, I, I'm sort of with Josh in the sense that, hey, you know what? You know, you want to keep Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma from making it every year. Uh, the schools in those leagues have to get better. And to the SEC's credit, 
uh, you look at the history of the college football playoff, they've put different team, more different teams or programs in the playoff uh, than any other conference with three, uh, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia have all made the playoff, and they've all played for titles. Uh, that's not the case with other conferences. Uh, you know, you don't have that diversity. So even with Alabama being, you know, the greatest dynasty we've seen in college football probably ever, at this point, just because it's, you know, they don't win it every single year, but it's hard to be consistently great and play for it all the time and win the SEC all the time and, and all that. It's just, it's just unrealistic for that to happen every single year. But this is the closest thing to UCLA basketball in the 70s uh, I think we've seen, and I don't think we're going to see it again in our lifetime. Um, there's always a have and have nots. It's hard to break into the haves. Uh, Clemson did it. Oregon has done it. But Outside of those two schools, you know, Virginia Tech and Kansas State in the 90s broke broke in uh, to a certain extent. But, you know, you look at it, it's very, very difficult to crack the elite uh, in college football. And some of the quote unquote elites uh, end up going backward, you know, like the schools I've mentioned. So it's very difficult to do. So, so that's my take on, on it from a you know 10,000 foot point of view you know, looking at the quote-unquote complainers out there uh, and all that. Now, oh, what was that? Ah, it sounded you heard it was a gate crash. But anyway, 12-team playoff, you know, you, so, so you look at it from a 10,000-foot point of view, and forgive me, I had to pause the recording and go take care of that. So I, I may have lost my train of thought a bit, but uh, – and look, I do agree with with some that expansion, you know, it's it's kind of like a, uh, a everybody gets a trophy kind of play if you're doing it just to get the group of five in or more teams in or more access. But and look, I'm not sure that you know over time this would have been good for the sport to stay at four just because. Uh, of the access and all that. And you have players opting out of bowls and you have this narrative pushed by the national media that uh, is really anti-college football, if you want to get right down to it, uh, because of their political beliefs. But, uh, you know, they, they don't think players should play in bowl games at all. I mean, they celebrate that when, when players opt out. Um, and, and so you have that narrative being pushed. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where, hey, you know, playoff is probably where the sport needed to go expansion-wise. Uh, but, if it, you know, I'm not in the everybody gets a trophy category. Uh, and I tend to agree, like I said, with Josh Pate that, hey, you want to beat Alabama, go be better than they are, you know. Put the resources into your program. Hire the right coaches, that kind of thing. So that's um, that's the deal there, you know, if you want um, – I guess some, some parody, uh, then do that. I'm not for adjusting the rules uh, in the interest of parody. Uh, we have a football, we have a brand of football in this country in the NFL that's set up for that. You know, everybody kind of gets a taste. I mean, you have the New England Patriots, obviously, that are usually pretty good. Um, you have franchises that are better than others, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you look at the teams that win and go to the Super Bowl year to year, and, and they're different. You know, they're they're different. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm in favor of that. That said, you know, you, this is the game inside the Gamecocks podcast, and you have to talk about how it affects Carolina. And I'm telling you that it's great for Carolina. 
it, it's great for South Carolina. It's great for programs like South Carolina because uh, like Missouri, it's great for Missouri. It's great for Kentucky and Tennessee. I think it's great for Florida. Um, any of the SEC East teams, uh, it's fantastic because you, you don't have to go through Alabama. Uh, you know, you know and, and I'll give you an example. In 2014, both Mississippi schools had banner years. Mississippi State was ranked number one most of the year and went to the Orange Bowl with Dak Prescott. Ole Miss was ranked in the top five and ended up going to the Sugar Bowl. You know, those two teams would have made the playoff that year. But, hey, they, you know, I think Ole Miss beat Alabama, but the Mississippi State couldn't get by them and Ole Miss lost to some other schools. So, you know, even in the years in that other division where, you know, let's say you have a Texas A&M that rises up this year, you know, you still have to get through a, an immensely talented and dominant team, be it LSU, Auburn, maybe A&M here short, shortly, uh, Alabama, you know, to get there. In the East, you you have Georgia, and they're the class of the division now, no doubt, and they have aspirations. Uh, but that's just one team. Uh, you know, Florida had a really good year last year. We'll see how they do this year. They lost – a lot of players, I don't count Dan Mullen out, but you, you look at kind of how that team won last season with the passing game, and that passing game's been gutted. It's going to be more of a run-oriented outfit in Gainesville this year. Now, Dan Mullen can scheme it up and do it with the best of them, but, uh, you know, that that that's the deal there, that they're not, you know, like in Alabama that reloads year after year. And, and so what you have to do is just, you know, win your share of games, get ranked high and get close and get in. Um. And so what I did was, you know, I went and in South Carolina, that, that's awesome because honestly, if you look at the pinnacle of the program, those three straight 11 win seasons, you know, you look back on it and you're like, man, you know, that they didn't win a division. They didn't go to Atlanta, uh, two citrus bowls and an outback bowl, you know, didn't even break three. You know, that was before the, the playoff expansion where they added a major bowl game and Carolina probably would have gotten in one of the sugar bowl or something had they had that access, but they didn't have the access, you know? So, so that's, uh, that's one of those things. And, and so I went back and looked and I used the BCS standings. Now keep in mind, uh, like 2012, I got a question today, you know, Notre Dame is the five seed in 2012. They're like, well, they went undefeated and were ranked number one. Yeah. But the rule is it's the high, six highest rated conference champions get in. Uh, and then, the four highest rated conference champions get um, uh, get a bye. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. So, if, in other words, it, you know, it, it sort of prevents, you know, because it's all conferences, not just the, the power five. So, so, in other words, like let's say you have a seven and five team from a weak division like UCLA or something in the Pac-12 and they pull the upset in the championship game, you know, and, and then like Boise State and UCF continue, are, are both undefeated and ranked ahead of them. Um, Boise State and UCF are getting in. UCLA is not, you know, unless they're the next six. Uh, and, and you have to win your conference to get a bye and so the best any team that does not win a conference like Notre Dame can do is a five seed. Uh, so 2013 Gamecocks, and this is like, look, I, I read it. I applied it. If it's not completely accurate, don't shoot the messenger. 
Um, you know, if the matchups aren't because I just kind of sketched it out, looked at the ranking, sketched it out. Uh, I may have made a, a, a mistake here or there, but making some mistakes lately. Uh, so, so don't shoot the messenger if this is not 100% accurate. But based on the BCS rankings, the final rankings before the bowl game, so after the SEC championship game. In 2013, Gamecocks would have had a home game at Williams-Brice Stadium uh, against the Missouri Tigers. <laughs> so the Columbia Cup. Uh, would have come to South Carolina. Of course, that was a, a thrilling win for Carolina out in Columbia, Missouri, 27-24. Connor Shaw coming off the bench. Legendary status uh, for Shaw submitted in that game. I remember watching it, and I was like, Carolina's not going to – this is not going well. Uh, down 17 nothing, couldn't do anything. Uh, Dylan Thompson started that game. Connor comes in, and all of a sudden, boom, 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 here they go offensively and defensively. So, I guess a good Missouri team. So, that would have been the, the matchup. And here, here are the other matchups. The 5-12 game in 2013 because of the kick six would have been Oregon at Alabama with the winner playing Baylor on a neutral site. Pretty Baylor and Bama in that one would have been pretty good in a bowl game. The winner of Carolina-Missouri would have played number one Florida State. Uh, the number six – Team Ohio State would have played Clemson, and that was the Orange Bowl anyway. But that game, this game would have been in Columbus, Ohio, in December. Uh, Michigan State would have awaited the winner of that in a bowl game, so you could have Michigan State Ohio State rematch from the Big Twelve Big Ten Championship game that Michigan State won. Oklahoma at Stanford uh, in the seven ten game with the winner going to the plane or not to the plains with the winner playing Auburn in a bowl because the quarters are in a bowl. Um, so that's how it would happen in 2013. Gamecocks also would have made it in 2012, and this is where it was interesting. Notre Dame would have been the fifth seed against 12 seed Oklahoma. Remember, the SEC East was pretty pretty good that year, and also you had A&M in the West with Johnny Football. So Oklahoma against Notre Dame in South Bend, the winner goes to Tallahassee to play, you know, a Florida State team that was just sort of emerging. Uh, the 8-9 game would have been Georgia against LSU. Uh, that LSU team, remember, beat South Carolina and turned their season really around with that, with the winner playing Alabama in a bowl. So he'd have gotten Bama LSU part two or Bama Georgia part two. Uh, Johnny, this has been a fun game. Texas A&M and Johnny football would have gone to Eugene, Oregon to play the Ducks, uh, the winner playing Kansas State in a bowl. Uh, and then this is a, another rematch for the Gamecocks. Florida and Will Muschamp, they finished 11-1 and that year, didn't win the division, uh, and beat Carolina 44-11, if you remember, at the end of that three-game gauntlet Carolina played. Uh, Carolina and Spurrier would have returned to the swamp uh, to play Muschamp's best team uh, for a rematch. So that storylines would have been great there. The winner would have played Stanford uh, in a bowl. So – that 2012 path and they gotten past the Gators, you know, I'm, I'm, I think look, thinking back on that year, Oregon and A&M the winner of that would have probably beaten Kansas state um, on the road. And so then, you know, who knows how far the Gamecocks could have gone that year uh, in 2013, you know, you have the immediate matchup with Florida state, which won the national title and Jameis Winston and Jimbo's best teams. I, I don't know if Carolina had a shot there or not. Uh, but that would have been another great storyline because of uh, the uh, Spurrier versus Florida State kind of deal. 
2011, Alabama, Michigan State in Tuscaloosa in the 5-12 game. You remember LSU beat them and won the division, even though Bama won the national title. Uh, Boise State would have gotten the winner. Arkansas, gosh, 10 years ago, the Hawks could have been in the playoffs. Bobby Petrino was there. Uh, they would have played Wisconsin and Brett Bielema, who was their future head coach, kind of like the Muschamp Gamecocks thing. The winner would have played number one LSU. Number six, Southern Cal would have played Kansas State in Los Angeles. Uh, the number three seed would have awaited them, would have been Stanford. Stanford pretty good back then. South Carolina would have gone to number seven, Oregon. So, so this South Carolina defense in 2011 got off to a weird start. Remember, they struggled with uh, East Carolina. Lincoln Riley calling the plays in that game for the Pirates, by the way, 56-37. Bobo lit them up at Georgia. Gamecocks escaped 45-42. But then by the end of that year, that defense was nasty. You had a freshman, Jadevian Clowney. You had Devin Taylor. You had Melvin Ingram. You had Devontae Holloman, Stephon Gilmore. Travian Robertson and Kelsey Quarles at D tackle, Shaq Wilson and Rodney Paul. Antonio Allen was a big play guy. So a fascinating matchup in Eugene for the Gamecocks, and the winner would have gotten Oklahoma State. Uh, and those are the three years Carolina would have made it. You know, the, the team that won the East would not have made it. Uh, and he probably would have been bemoaning that loss at Kentucky that year, 31-28, uh, just because – you know, if you, if you kind of work the math and see where Carolina, Carolina actually was ranked after getting beat by Auburn in the SEC championship game, one more win would have probably probably gotten them in the top 12. It's not guaranteed, though, you know, because that, that team had four losses after that, and including a bad one to Kentucky, and I don't know how their resume would have stacked up. So, so that's how the playoff would have gone at the early part of the 2010s uh, if you're South Carolina. And, you know, you look back on it and – Gamecocks would have been sort of a regular in the national college football playoff during that time frame. And, and, and I think what that does is, you know, when you look back on those years and, and it's frustrating because, you know, especially in 2013, you beat Tennessee, you got the you know fortuitous upset of Auburn beating Alabama on the kick six. Ellis Johnson sitting there as the D coordinator, uh, and these two teams met the following year, and, and Spurrier having gone against him in practice every single day, uh, Carolina would have probably had a very successful g- game on offense. Uh, and then that defense in 2013 was not ideal, so that would have concerned me in that football game with Nick Marshall and those guys. Uh, but, you know, you, Carolina probably gives them a better game than Missouri did that year uh, and could have won. Uh, and then if they'd have won that one based on the upsets, they'd have played Florida State for the all the marbles in the Rose Bowl. Carolina finished fourth in the country that season. Um, and that probably of those three teams was not talent-wise the best. 2011-2012 probably were better on paper. Um, so fascinating matchups there, uh, you know, and, and the one year, 2013, Carolina would have gotten to host a uh, first-round college football playoff game at Williams-Brice. How exciting would that have been? Uh, and, and so what this does is it, it sort of gives you a chance uh, to get in and, and to play for the title uh, with this format, assuming it's approved. Now, you know, the Notre Dame situation's interesting. Uh, I haven't – I kind of expected them to really have some blowback about it because they can never have a first-round bye because they're not in a conference. 
at the same time, in the interest of fairness, if you think about it, why should you make everybody else play one extra game and Notre Dame doesn't have to? You know, that, that's the bottom line. Now, you can look at it again and flip it back over and say, well, you've got 12 teams in the playoff. Not all of them are going to be in conference championship games. You know, you, you have always have the uh, – 11 and one or 10 and two division runner up in the sec or big 10 or wherever. Uh, and sometimes those teams make it if it's Ohio state or Alabama. And, and so those, those teams aren't playing an extra game. So, so, you know, what's the difference? So that that's very fascinating, but of course they don't get a first round buy. So maybe that's, you know, maybe that's where the, the logic comes in. And I haven't heard a lot of like complaining out of Notre Dame either. You know, and, and maybe it's because, look, you know, they don't play a conference championship game. That first round game in South Bend or wherever they have to go, maybe that's the conference. Maybe they're looking at it like that, like, hey, okay, so we can just do this and have an extra game of Notre Dame football, and it brings in money. And money's driving this, by the way. Um, I, I don't think it's so much parity and, and what's good for the sport or, or whatever, it, which, although I do think 12 is better for the sport than eight. You know, because with eight, you have the whole question of auto bids and the G5, and you're going to get in a situation where the G5 champion is more like the 20th best team in the country or 15th. You know, this way, you know, you eliminate and, – and I don't know if this is right or not, but you eliminate the weak division winner going and pulling a massive upset and, and, and knocking a deserving team out of the playoff. But – you know, and, and I don't know about that, but it also says, you know, with the group of five, hey, look, you know, we're not only giving you one automatic bid because there's only five power five conferences and you get six, the six highest conference champions get in. You know, you have a chance to get two if uh, for some reason, you know, there's an upset in the championship game. And I, I think that provides a little bit more drama uh, for that first week in December. So, We'll see. I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, implemented and passed. You know, I think there may be some tweaks to it, but, uh, you know, you look at it and, hey, that, that's, a, that's a good deal. You know, people are talking about Clemson, of course. You, uh, <laughs> you know, always talk about Clemson if you're a South Carolina fan. And, and nothing's getting you know, like Clemson is great right now and, and i think that's tough for a lot of people to accept and recognize um but it's not south carolina's fault i mean south carolina has to focus on its own division and sure they need to get back to the point where they're winning that game it's the most important game of the year for the school alums people that live in the state of south carolina uh all that but as far as Clemson making the playoff goes, even if South Carolina gets back to where they can win that game sometimes, because if they get to that point, then they're obviously a really good SEC football program or team. Um, Clemson's still making the playoff unless somebody from the ACC steps up, whether that's Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, you know, the teams with a chance. You know, it just – that league outside of Clemson, I mean, Clemson's, you know, we, we think Alabama is dominant uh, in the SEC. 
well, Clemson's six straight ACC titles, and it hasn't been, you know, the championship game hasn't been close in years. You know, I, I think they beat the Hokies by seven in 2016, and they beat North Carolina by eight in 2015. Other than that, it's been blowout, just extreme blowout city uh, for the championship game. So, you know, South Carolina getting great is not going to is going to help them win the game at the end of the year. It's not going to stop, you know, what's going on in terms of playoff bids in the Upstate. So that's something to keep in mind there. Now, for but for the Gamecocks themselves, you know, you start thinking about it. Well, you know, if you can, you know, get toward the top of your division, you know, it's it's um, hey, <laughs> yeah, there's a good chance you're going to playoff. So uh, that's that's a good thing. That's a really good thing for the Gamecocks. Um, breaking news out from, uh, I guess, some board of trustees meeting or something. Gamecocks will have a $19 million shortfall for the 2022-23 fiscal year and $27 million for this fiscal year. But uh, the school is going to cover the shortfall, I guess, university's coffers. Uh, and then the athletics – Department's going to pay it back uh, beginning in 2024. And uh, they need a cash influx. And, you know, that's fine. Uh, this is not going to be something that's um, over, uh, you know, it should be a surprise. Uh, I know some people are going to blame Ray Tanner for it, but you can't blame Ray for a pandemic. <laughs> uh, you know, that's just, uh, that's just the bottom line. So that's uh, – that's kind of how it's uh, it's looking financially with the Gamecocks. SEC distributed $23 million per school to kind of buffer that. Uh, and don't forget, there's a new ESPN TV deal coming down. Uh, this new playoff thing is going to, you know, probably bring a little more money to all Power 5 schools. So they're going to make that up in short order uh, as far as that goes and you know, I, I think that what I would encourage everyone to do before, you know, you start panicking about this or worrying about this, uh, look around the country and you're going to see the same thing. You're going to see athletic departments, they get money from the school, you know, to kind of float them uh, and then pay them back and all that. This, this is going to be a pretty common thing, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, I keep hearing too from some folks asinine comments about, they hired Shane Beamer on the cheap. Uh, and let me just address that right quick, really quick. You know, Shane, South Carolina pays market value, you know, for coaches. South Carolina, you know, it'd be dumb of them to take $2.25 million that you could spend on staff and coaches, which is something Shane Beamer requested, taking less to get more. You know, Steve Spurrier did the same thing. Dabo Swinney's done the same thing. This is common yet again. Uh, you know, and, and, and they pay market value, you know, which for a coach with no experience is probably around $3.54 million. Shane's making two point seven five. He gave up the extra cash. Uh, and, and that's why Carolina can hire the strength coach they have where you have an assistant strength coach that's got 20 years of NFL experience. You know, you have to pay him according to his experience. Um, where they have Derek Moore. Uh, who they got away from Georgia Tech after 20 years, you know, you got to pay Derek. 
you know, you have Connor Shardy there, you know, and, and the staff with the analyst and things like that, they've expanded and the staff's making, you know, the analysts are making a little bit more, you know, Pat DeMarco on staff now, you know, those guys all cost money. Uh, and so I, I think the head coach salary being lower is a positive thing. Uh, and we don't know if it's last in the SEC or not because Clark Lee and Mandy may not be making that much more. You know, he, he's a guy kind of like Shane that no head coaching experience that comes in. So, uh, and I'll tell you this too, if Shane Beamer wins, uh, he's not going to be sitting as the lowest paid coach in the SEC for very long. That just doesn't happen. Um, and so there's that without that point. Uh Another thing, you know, talking about Shane Beamer and the interview yesterday, I will mention this. He sort of said the same thing I've been saying about the the notion that if you lack offensive or defensive coordinator experience, notice I said offensive or defensive, not coordinator, because our recruiting coordinator is a coordinator uh, that's actually more familiar with the overall program than it, than, you know, anybody, especially how that role used to be or an assistant coach was the recruiting coordinator. Nowadays, you don't really have assistants that are recruiting coordinators. You have guys like Taylor Edwards inside that kind of head up that operation for you. Um, so there's that. Uh, and he's been a special teams coordinator, and that's the entire team. Um, so as far as like what you have to do as a head coach with organization and, you know, setting the standard and culture and all that good stuff, you know, uh, it's not like he's never handled the whole team before, Right. So I, I, he, he said it was a false narrative, and he brought up this, and you can go listen to the interview. There's a lot of guys that are great play callers out there that get to be head coaches that just fall flat on their face. A lot of guys that are great defensive coordinators that get to be head coaches that fall flat, flat on their face. We've seen them all over the place. We've seen them at SEC schools in recent years. For those of you that want to throw Muschamp in that category probably could. You know, a guy that – was one of the best DCs in the country, rising star in coaching. He's gotten two two chances at SEC schools and failed. But, you know, there, there's people that will hire him to run the defense, you know, that kind of thing. Sort of maybe wish he'd always run the defense at South Carolina. Maybe he'd still be there. But, uh, you know, and, and you can look back and, and, and trace. And a lot of it, too, guys, is, is not – it's making the right decisions, okay? And and it's hard to make the right decisions when there's a lot of options and you really have to think think it through. I mean, and you think about Will Muschamp and some of the decisions that were made and they make sense on paper, but they ended up being the wrong decisions. Uh, and so a lot of it's just about that. And it's, and it's not necessarily luck. It's maybe having that extra level of foresight to it, you know, or, or something like that. Uh, and you look at it through the years, like who Shane Beamer's helped hire on different coaching staffs and things like that. And, you know, as far as hiring a staff goes, I think, I mean, I think the guy can, I mean, I think he's put together a really good staff and, and that's a lot of coaching as well. You know, it's a lot of being a head coach. So anyway, go listen to it. I, I reject that narrative too. And I think it's a tired, lazy narrative. Um, although I did say, uh, and I'll explain this real quick, because the, the, the phrase lazy narrative has come out of my mouth before uh, about, you know, what happened at Florida with Muschamp was a lazy narrative when it comes to South Carolina. Um, 
and look, I still think I'm right about that. I, I don't think the issues at Florida, you know, in terms of decisions and, and things of that nature were, were close, to, you know, were, were the thing, the issues at South Carolina. Uh, the bottom just fell out at South Carolina for a number of reasons. Um, and I think that coordinator hires did him in. Now, in Gainesville, offensive coordinators did him in. But, uh, you know, D.C.'s, pretty good. Dan Quinn and D.J. Durkin. I mean, those were – can't argue with those guys as defensive coordinators. Um, I, I think at Florida, too, you know, he needed that fifth year. I think at South Carolina, it was obviously the fourth year was so shockingly bad and, and they went so backward that maybe you couldn't justify that. Um, we'll see how the 2020 recruiting class turns out. And if it turns out really, really well, then I don't think, you know, you look back and you say it was the right decision uh, to, um, to do that, you know, to, to keep him for another year. But, uh, and so I really don't think anything must have, it has anything to do with Florida. I, I, I think that to have it over again, he probably should have just hired no offensive people that he had at Florida, uh, including Kurt Roper, even though he'd only been there a year, uh, and, and hired a different strength staff. And and that way, if you'd had the same outcome and results, you're like, well, it's not it's not because of what he did at Florida. It's it's a different deal. But you know, those that were against the hire from the start, uh, yeah, you 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 know you you probably are puffing your chest out today because look, you know, Hey, you, you said shouldn't hire this guy and it ended up not working. So congratulations to you. I still don't think it had a damn thing to do with what happened at the university of Florida. I think that, um, you know, uh, I think that that's a, a, a different situation. Uh, and he left the situations differently too. At Florida, they were really, if you're, looking at it on an analogy here, a visual analogy, it's like a seesaw, really heavy on defense. You know, the, he left a loaded defense that, shoot, helped Jim McElwain and Dan Mullen, the players he left there at Florida. Obviously, at South Carolina, I think he got a really good defensive line, but linebacker and secondary are questions. Um, had the portal not gotten some guys in the secondary, maybe you say different. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have called it loaded either way. Uh, but then on offense, you know, at Florida, he left four offensive linemen, uh, the, which is the famous quote for McElwain. You know, offensive line's in really much better shape at South Carolina. You know, I think at both schools, he left some talent at running back. You know, depending on Marshawn Lloyd and Rashad Amos and Zaquandre White and those guys, uh, you know, whether the Gamecocks backfield is better than the Gators was back then with Jordan Scarlett and, and guys like that. You know, that, that's to be determined, but I think on paper they have a chance to be. Uh, the only thing really similar is he left the lack of talent and speed at wide receiver at both schools, which is probably the most baffling thing from a personnel whole standpoint at South Carolina and Florida, because in the state of Florida, at the very least, you should be able to recruit receivers. Um, and in South Carolina, if you look at the history of the position out of the state, especially recently, you should always have receivers. You know, what? South Carolina doesn't have any receivers, you know. Uh, because there's not always a great running back in state. There's always not, you know, a great quarterback. 
you know, you, you have some DBs that are good. Uh, linebacker, you know, a great one will come along every now and then. Uh, but there's always defensive linemen and there's always wide receivers in the state of South Carolina. And so, you know, to me, I, I don't know. You know, it's the, that and safety. Safety is a huge mystery because you should always be able to find a safety if you're recruiting the footprint Carolina has. So we'll see. Enough about Muschamp. That's uh, it's a good conversation. So the tired narrative this time around is Shane Beamer is going to fail because he's never been a – or is a risky hire because he's never been an offensive or defensive coordinator. And really it's night and day different from being a head coach. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's the bottom line. And, and Shane mentioned Urban Meyer and Dabo Sweeney, both. There's a lot of national championships between those. Those are the two guys that have won it outside of Nick Saban. I mean, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll just give it to you straight. Um. You know, let, let's go back. 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Uh, okay, there, 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 and there. Okay, so since in the playoff era, Bama's won it three times, and other teams – wait a minute, Bama's won it – yeah, Bama's won it well, – Bama's won at 15 and 15, they won it in 17, they won it in 20. Other teams have won at four. So Bama versus the field. Of those four teams that have won the playoff, okay, they're all led by head coaches who have never been a coordinator. Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, Ed Orgeron. Never been a coordinator. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> uh, the coordinator thing doesn't make a difference. Now, there is something to be said for first-time head coaches in the SEC, you know, that, that have taken jobs, you know, that aren't Georgia like Kirby Smart did or that, that you know, aren't, you know, traditional powers. Uh, and, you know, some of them have worked out. Mark Stoops in Kentucky certainly working out. Some of them haven't. Um, you know, uh, it's been tough sledding, uh, and especially the first year. You know, one of the better – the two best first years, I think, uh, were by James Franklin when he came to Vandy, also a guy that had no head coaching experience. And when Brad Scott came to South Carolina, he improved the Gamecocks by three wins and went to a bowl, won the first bowl in school history. So, you know, it's been few and far between, I guess, first-year head coaches, first-time head coaches stepping in and, and making a big turnaround. But – you know, you look after that, you know, Mark Rick and Kirby Smart come to mind, first-time guys. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, you know, Hugh Freeze, he's in a small school, Lambeth, which is essentially maybe kind of like coaching high school. Then he, Arkansas State for one year as the head coach. Went to Ole Miss, turned them around immediately. Gus Malzahn was at Arkansas State for one year as the head coach. Came back and took Auburn from three and nine uh, to a national championship game. So, you know, Eli Drinkwitz was at App State as a head coach for one year. So, so, you know, how much does that one year on the job training really mean? I don't know. You know, I'd, I'd have to ask the coaches about that. We didn't ask Beamer about that then. So, anyway, there's the false narrative uh, or whatever that uh, we talked about during the interview. Again, check it out on JC and Morgan. 
All right, about to get to the iHelp Consulting inbox mailbag. And I want to tell you about iHelp Consulting. If you're a business owner, and like me, you're always looking to save time and save money. Those are the two most precious commodities when you're running a business, and that's where iHelp Consulting can help. iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. So that's, that's their job is to save you money. Uh, whether you think you may be paying too much for credit card processing, for internet, for insurance, or anything else, I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality, which is important as well. Uh, I know I, I, I tend to value quality over expense. I'll pay a little extra for something, something good, but if I can get the same thing for cheaper, obviously I'm going to do it. And remember, if I help can't save your business money and then you don't pay them anything. It's, it's a meritocracy when you are dealing with iHelp Consulting. Uh, they can help your business and it's no cost to you. So you need to call or text Daniel Owens uh, at iHelp at 843-372-5713, 843-372-5713 or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a absolutely free consultation that number again is 843-372-5713 i help consulting how can i help you so we're heading in now to the i help consulting inbox and gonna read some of your emails yay and uh to get uh, gotta explain how to get there to get into the the mailbag into the inbox okay so you go Tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. And I encourage everybody to follow that. Also follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. Um, it's a good Twitter account. Keeps you up to date uh, on, you know, the podcast, all things Gamecocks, uh, all that good stuff. So you tweet at the Big Spur Pod. And then also Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. That's the I Help Consulting inbox mailbag. Uh, I help consult. Let me get this right. The I help consulting mailbag inbox. There we go. I help consulting mailbag inbox. Uh, I told you guys I've been making some mistakes lately. Uh, okay. So the first one comes in from Michael. There was a great article in the athletic about how Arkansas's decision to join the SEC the same year as South Carolina was a great decision, decision financially but a bad decision for the fans as the article states they should have stayed in the Southwest Conference and joined the Big 12 for more chances to win. My question is, if you're the University of South Carolina and had a chance to do it all over again, would you still move the Gamecocks to the ACC or try to rejoin the ACC? Um, I would have not left the ACC to begin with uh, because that hurt the program. Uh, in terms of winning and going to bowl games and being competitive. I mean, you think about it, South Carolina, a lot of years, you know, it would have been South Carolina and Clemson in the 1980s for the ACC title. Uh, and, and that game would have meant all the marbles. There was no championship game back then. Carolina played a lot of ACC schools during that time. Um, you know, I, I think, the bowl tie-ins that started to happen would have really helped the program when it was, you know, got thrown, you know, it, it's, it's like Rodney Carrington is a comic I listen to talk that he's, he's talking about when you get a divorce, but this analogy, <laughs> this analogy helps for like Carolina when they joined the SEC, it's like they got you in a helicopter and kidnapped you and threw you out in the middle of the ocean and you just swim. 
<laughs> that's kind of how Carolina was when they joined the Southeastern Conference. Um, and so I think when the SEC expanded, you could have still gone, left the ACC, joined the SEC. I don't know if they'd have done it at the time, but, you know, those 20 years sort of in the wilderness, you know, South Carolina in the ACC, I think would have, you know, competed uh, probably more winning seasons, bowl trips. And that's in football. And then basketball would have been an established national power, probably with more NCAA tournament bids once they expanded the field. Uh, you know, baseball, the, the two leagues, I mean, the SEC is better in baseball, but uh, the ACC is really good too. So I don't think you're missing much there. And women's basketball, probably the same as baseball. SEC is really good. ACC is good too. Um, and so I would have never left. Now, in 92, should you have uh, said no thanks to the SEC and joined the ACC? Interesting concept, but I'm going to go with no. <laughs> because uh, I, I think that w- when you look at the game, and, th- and this this comes up with Carolina's not winning. When they're winning in football, nobody talks about this. But I, I think it's a great question, Michael, because of that article, and I did read it. Uh And I think with Arkansas, you know, they've never had a problem with resources and having great facilities and fan support and all the things that make a great football program. They were great in the Southwest Conference to begin with. Um, And so, you know, taking them out of their element and putting them in the SEC is, you know, they already had – the point is they already had money. South Carolina, not so much, you know. Um, that money and the resources and SEC membership for South Carolina has been overwhelmingly positive, even though you, you know, it's hard as hell uh, in the sport of football to get good and stay good uh, in that league. And, and even when you have a really good team, it, you know, you may lose four games. Uh, but but it's, if you think about it, they've been just a, you know, a the second ACC school in the state of South Carolina – you know, are, are you really building all these facilities? I mean, Clemson built all of them. But but are you really going to, you know, have the desire to go build facilities and expand? And You know, would you be able to recruit, you know, or, or would Alabama have come in and gotten Stephon Gilmore and Jadevian Clowney? Because I'll tell you this, I know a lot of people from the Spurrier staff and universally – you know, when when they got those big time recruits, so the SEC was a huge, huge selling point. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, would 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 those guys have gone to Clemson or would they have, you know, gone to Bama or Georgia? You know, I think you open yourself up with some of your in state guys when, you know, you 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 play in a weaker conference and you know, the SEC schools can point to it. I mean, uh, schools in other states, you know, the state of Virginia, you can ask people up there. It, it's an ACC state, but, you know, they get rated quite a bit. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have done it. Now, can you sit there when the Gamecocks are struggling to win games and, you know, you play Alabama in 2019 and you play pretty good and, have some calls go against you in the first half that would have made it really interesting. And you're, you're in the third quarter and you, you feel like you played pretty well and you're down 47 to 16. Uh, do you maybe think, Hey, uh, a, a nice trip to Duke uh, would have been nice today, <laughs> you know, up at that stadium where, you know, you probably could have had 10,000 Gamecock fans 
Um, and, and, you know, you, you think about what could have been in bas- men's basketball and all that good stuff. But uh, I think right now, you know, South Carolina has been in the Southeastern Conference for 30 years. This is their home. This is where it is. I think it's a, a fundamentally different conversation, too, because Carolina's in the East. Uh, and, and we're going on now like a decade of this with the East versus West. Um, and it's that way in baseball, too, now. Maybe it won't always be that way, but it's that way in baseball, too. Um, where the weaker division is uh, is the East. And, and so you, you don't really have a big difference football-wise between the SEC and ACC, you know, as long as Tennessee stays down, you know, between playing Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, and Vandy every year versus playing, uh, you know, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, uh, North Carolina State and uh, Georgia Tech every year, as far as programs go. Now, you know, some years the four teams I mentioned are going to be good and beat you, and the four teams I mentioned are not. Uh, some years, based on you know what league you're talking about and what year, you know, it's not universal. But in general, you know, Carolina again, as long as Tennessee is down, you know, they've got four opponents every season in their division that there's no reason, you know, when, when South Carolina's up that they should lose to. Uh, and that's kind of the same, you know, it's, it's a great setup considering you're in the SEC. Whereas if you're in the West, you've got four teams on the schedule in Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M and Bama, that it's going to be difficult, you know, and right. And, I, and I'm saying Texas A&M right now, you know, plus you're dealing with Arkansas and Ole Miss, Mississippi State. You know, there are no Vanderbilts in the West. So, um, but yeah, I would stick with the SEC for those reasons I just mentioned. So, thank you, Michael, for your question. The I Help Consulting mailbag rolls on. Mark says, comparing four and five stars in the portal to best personalities, high school superlatives is genius. It's from Kent, like he talks about can't hardly wait the movie. They picked on the nerd and the jock ends up flunking out of college. The nerd ends up at MIT and marries a supermodel. <laughs> yeah. The the John Hughes, every man, you know, social outcast theme, uh, I think would be alive there. But no, and look, I know a lot of guys that played ball in high school that are super successful. Um those superlatives, though, in the yearbook don't always hold true, and I don't know of a single person that is successful that clung to that for dear life. You know, it's like where I went to high school and it burns, you know, you have – we were talking, gosh, early part of the 2000s at a wedding, me and my buddy, and we were like, you know, the guys that were – there were some guys that were pretty popular around here, and – uh a lot of a lot of people we went to high school with at the wedding, and you know they all drive the the Honda CRX uh, with the lights on the bottom, and um, I don't know what the, the the labels are that they put across the top of the windshield, but it's always like a slogan or it's almost like a a made up business, you know, like Mystical Illusions Incorporated. You know that'll you just see that random stuff on the on the CRX, right? Uh, and it's new and it's shiny and they're out in the parking lot before school and they're awesome. You know, they're walking down the hall cause they're the man. 
you know, five years later, you see that same, same CRX and the mufflers out mystical illusions label is faded and you know, they're pulling up at the gas station at six in the morning to get coffee because, you know, they got to go work some job that isn't that great of a job and got a couple of kids at home and a dog. Uh, and they look miserable, absolutely miserable. So that's the recruit that can't let go of the star ratings. <laughs> Mystical illusions, ain't. So Mark continues, he says, going back to this, it's why more and more major league teams seem to be drafting players out of college versus high school. Sometimes kids peak in high school. Sometimes everybody peaks in high school. Everybody, you know, I peaked in high school. Ah, it's a shame, guys, like I just mentioned. Uh, versus college, where you spend at least two or three seasons competing against players on your own level. Yeah, and I don't know. I haven't followed major league draft trends. But, yeah, college baseball is overwhelmingly positive for a lot of baseball players. But, you know, and, and then, look, like in every sport, though, to, to kind of circle back on this, you're always going to have some no-brainers, you know, that could go. Football, there are very few. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence could have gone and gotten on an NFL roster, probably not started early in his career, but gotten there quickly uh, at that level. I think um, Marcus Lattimore could have gotten some carries, you know, when he was healthy uh, at that level, like, you know, Herschel Walker as well back in the day. Uh, I'm just talking about local guys. Clowney could have been a pass rushing specialist, probably wouldn't have started his first couple of years. Uh, he was good enough. Adrian Peterson's probably good enough to go. Um, you know, just looking at it, but the vast majority of football talent, you know, th those guys, you know, th there's no way they could have gone straight to the pros. It's it's too developmental. In baseball, though, you got guys that you put them right in the minors from high school, and then you know, in a year there in AAA, and then you call them up. Uh, basketball. And obviously, guys have gone straight from high school and done really well. I mean, some of the best players in the game, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, uh, have gone straight from high school. And then, you know, a guy like Kwame Brown even that, you know, was never a star after being a number one pick by the Wizards. But, uh, you know, and, and he's been in the news lately a little bit. And I'll let you guys, you know, look that up. Kwame Brown stayed in the league 11 years. Basketball players, you know, the 12th guy on the bench makes eight figures. Basketball pays well. So, you know, I, I think it just depends on the sport, you know. But in, in football, I'm, I'm just, you know, like I said, that the, it's so developmental. I mean, even Shane Beamer in our interview, in the interview with JB and Goldwater, mentioned this, that – Carolina as a football team needs to get a lot stronger, you know, because of the pandemic and the the stopping and starting last off season. And then a new strength coach coming in with Paul Jackson on, on top of that, didn't really have a chance to get his program in. You know, that's a reason that South Carolina did not look like a strong football team last year. He says, we got to get stronger. Um, and, and you just think about that, you know, that, that wasn't even a missed season of playing. That was sort of and, – and then the winter program was still in place. They got the complete winter program. And that was sort of like they missed spring and then another month. And then, you know, you, you kind of had to do social distancing in the weight room. So it's a constant thing. A lot of times the guys are on their own. Um, I know during the pandemic I packed on weight. So I'm sure and like these football guys did, the big guys. I got to that guy to jazz to turn and tie in a bit. 
Um, and you know, I, and I, th- I don't think that's unique to Carolina. I think that that probably happened a lot of places. Uh, and just that time, you know, so, so, so what happens when a guy misses an entire football season um, when he's a young player and, and then goes up a level, uh, you know, and, and he's not proven even at the college level. I mean, that, that takes it away. Now, sure. You can work out on your own and get all the trainers you want and try to perfect your craft that way, but you, you, you get better by playing the game. Uh, and so these guys that, and there's one in particular out there running back that want to opt out of their high school football seasons. And, you know, to me, that's a red flag. I'd probably drop him just to be honest. Uh, and with running backs, I halfway understand that you know, you, you've got a shelf life, but, but this guy's not, like I mentioned, Avery, Adrian Peterson and Marcus Lattimore. Shoot. You could throw Todd Gurley in there too. Todd wasn't a five-star guy and Clemson wanted him as a safety. Clemson wanted Todd Gurley and Brian Edwards as a safety. That's interesting. But um, there's probably – there's a list of players that South Carolina wanted in a position that was just out there too, though. Uh, You know, he goes to Georgia as a true freshman. I I was like, wow, yeah, this guy could play in the league right now. And So so there's just very few guys like that. I don't think this kid's one of them. He's committed to Texas. I'll get you his name. I just just don't think that – that's smart. I mean, I, I, you know, <laughs> if you want, if you want to go to the NFL, I, I don't think that's smart, uh, you know, to, to miss a year, uh, unless you are that guy, like I mentioned. So I'll, I'll get you his name real quick. He's a, a running back. Jaden blue from Klein Kane high school in Texas, a number 107 player in the country, really good player. Don't get me wrong, but you know, Jaden probably needs to go play. Um, unless you're just guaranteed to start or whatever. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, look, uh, it's Jaden Blue's life, and, and I believe you can decide whatever you want. And publicly, fans don't need to be breaking the guy down. I'm just I'm, – I'm speaking more to, like, what could become a trend because a few years back, one guy opts out of a bowl game, and then people are like, it's going to be a trend, and then here we go. So, um Opting out of your high school football season, I think, is crazy. But anyway, thanks, Mark, for the email as the I help Consulting Inbox – or, sorry, I'm sorry. The I help Consulting Mailbag Inbox keeps rolling on. Rolling on. Uh, Hudson, go to Hattie's B, Hattie B's Hot Chicken if you uh, are in Nashville. And Nashville-specific food, that's a good spot to go. Uh, sorry, I forgot to respond to your email. Don't know if I get to it this weekend. Philip says, "JC, been around while since I emailed in. Just want to say I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the interview with Shane Beamer on the JC and Morgan podcast. An excellent interview and a really interesting take on the evolution of the NFL offenses and how we could look this fall. My question is, with the potential of the four twelve team playoff system, how would this affect recruiting?" My prediction is that recruiting could end up being more diverse and with highly talented players going to a different group of five. We'll go to a group of five school because they have a shot at the playoffs. A team like Coastal who plays a very weak schedule and makes the pitch to recruits to say, go undefeated, win the conference, get in the top 12, and we are playoff bound. I can see that being more competitive with in-state programs and multiple big-time programs. Also, why would a conference need an automatic qualifier for a 12-team playoff, Phil? Well, I, I think they're trying to make the 
conference championship games meaningful uh, and also give the G5 a shot at more than one bid. Uh, as far as recruiting goes, yeah, they, the Coastal is going to have more of a story to tell. But, you know, I think how you combat that if you're Clemson or South Carolina, and I'll just use South Carolina because uh, we probably talk about the, the selling points of Clemson's program too much on the pod. And I want you guys to still listen. So, uh, you know, with South Carolina, all you got to do is point to draft picks. You, know, you want to go to the NFL? Come here in the SEC. Look, here's what the Sun Belt did. Here's what the SEC did. Uh, I also would be sh- shocked uh, if Coastal Carolina had the facilities South Carolina did. I'd be shocked if they invested in their players the way a power five school could uh, I'd also be shocked if um, you know, if players enjoyed playing in front of 20,000 max versus the, you know, 80,000, 77,000, whatever Williams Bryce sits now. I mean, that players are great. They gravitate towards those atmospheres. Now I will say this, Phil, I think you bring up an excellent point. And, and what, what I think this could impact big is the transfer portal. All right, so so you out of high school, you know, you sign with a power five, you know, things maybe not work out. Maybe they over-recruited on you. You're still good. You know, where are you going to go? Well, hey, I can go to Coastal and make the playoff and play on a big stage and, you know, all this good stuff and, 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 and get some playing time, you know, because if I want to continue my career, not to mention it's in Myrtle Beach, uh, yeah. You know, so so I, I think where that helps the G five is in the transfer portal. Come here, you know, you've already played in front of these big crowds. That that situation didn't work out. Come here, be a star, and hey, we may we may get back on that big stage with this group. Um, and so that's what I think. I, I you know, and, and another thing, Phil, I, I will throw in there is quarterbacks. You know, quarterback recruiting is a lot like dominoes, and the portal is going to impact that position more than any other it already has. Uh, yeah, so if you're a quarterback, hey, you know, uh, Penn State, you know, like Penn State's got two quarterbacks committed this cycle. You know, maybe a Power 5 school wants two or needs two, uh, and they have two they like out of high school, but one of those guys has a chance to walk in at Coastal and the depth chart's more friendly, and yeah, maybe they do go to Coastal, whereas in the past they would have taken a shot at competing at the Power 5. And then the Power Five gets in the portal and, you know, does whatever. But interesting points for real. Um, very nice. Very nice, too. It's going to be interesting. I, my first – my thing with Coastal Carolina in general is I want to see what – you know, during a non-pandemic year, you know, do they – are they able to sustain it or are they going to go back to, you know, seven, eight wins, five, four, five wins, whatever, you know. Jamie Chadwell's history says, no, they're going to keep winning. But, um, you know, that's the thing with Coastal. Magical year last season. But, uh, you know, we're moving forward now. So, I, I think that's uh, that's the deal. And that's why, you know, it amazed me that, you know, Coastal that Coastal game from last season got rescheduled for 2025. People are freaking out about it. I'm like, you don't know what's going to happen here in, uh, in, in, in 2025. Um, but they've got, they've got a favorable schedule again this season. They go 
they got Citadel to open on a Thursday. They play Kansas at home on a Friday. They go at Buffalo, a MAC team. UMass, Louisiana Monroe, at Arkansas State and Butch Jones on a Thursday, at App State, Troy at home on a Thursday, at Georgia Southern, Georgia State at home on, on in November, Texas State at home, and then Jake Bentley in South Alabama on the Friday before Thanksgiving down in Mobile, then the Sun Belt title game. So we'll see what the Chanticleers do this year. I I think the schedule sets up pretty good with McCall and those guys back. Keith says, if you had to boil the issues with three major men's sports down to one primary issue, what would it say? For baseball, I'd say the team hasn't been able to hit for years. Agreed. They need more offense and hitters. Basketball, the team needs more shooters. Agree there. They, you know, they need to be able to shoot and they need to shoot free throws, to be honest. Uh, and if you're looking at last year's basketball team, they need to play some type of defense because that that, that wasn't a good defensive team. And you're, you're not going to win playing for Frank Martin if you're not, you know, defensive-minded. And, and they were such a, uh, a mediocre shooting team that, you know, most games, you know, you'd have a lot of like 90 to 70 games because they weren't playing any defense. The games they did shoot, they won. But those are few and far between. In football, the game plan on both sides of the ball has been inferior to our competition. Um, I don't know about that. I, I think in football, you know, the offensive game plan last year was fine. Uh, it made sense. Uh, and there's a difference between having a plan and executing that plan to perfection and, and playing winning football. I don't know what they were doing on defense, to be honest. I, you know, I don't know if the calls were there. I don't know if the – I don't know. You know, there were too many good players on that defense to sit there and think that they just were void of talent. And too many guys that have coached so much football on that side of the ball to think they were void of talent. So I don't know defense. I I think the issue with football, if if you wanted to kind of put a gun to my head and say, what's the one absolute must thing that has to change right now um, is injuries. Just like Shane Beamer said, uh, this program has not been going to battle with a full deck. Uh, and, and that was, unfortunately for Will Muschamp, uh, a trend of his. That's the one thing that was a lot like Florida. A lot of injuries. A lot of injuries. Uh, year after year after year after year. So I would say football, it's staying healthy. Uh, we talked about, you know, that 2011 South Carolina team. And uh, I'll just, again, point out, uh, and Marcus did get hurt this year. That was tragic and and all that. Uh, But I'll again point out, you know, this team stayed pretty healthy, relatively healthy, Um, you know, except at running back where you had, you know, you ended up having to go to Brandon Wilds. But uh, the second teamers, you know, you had a linebacker, you had Wilson and Paul, but you had a young Quinn Smith. Uh, you had Jimmy Legree at uh, corner and, and Marty Marquette, C.C. Whitlock, who were young behind them. Bryson Williams was a young guy behind Devontae Holloman. But, you know, obviously Devontae gets hurt. That's not an upgrade. Vic Hampton's a young player behind Gilmore. Vic was good during his career, but you don't want to throw him in for Gilmore in 2011. 
the backup line had Clowney on it, but then you had Aldrick Fordham, Byron Gerardo, Chaz Sutton, good players, but not Kelsey Corral, Stravian Robertson, Melvin Ingram, or Devin Taylor. Offensive line had a, you know, behind TJ Johnson at center, there was a walk on, a young Ronald Patrick and Cody Gibson, a, a young Busta Anderson at tight end, uh, receiver, a young Nick Jones at one of them, and, um, Ellington, who had just gotten there at another. I mean, the point of all this is Spurrier's teams were not terribly deep. But, you know, outside of Marcus getting hurt, and, you know, the occasional starter going out in the preseason with a knee or something like that, they stayed healthy. And so that would be the number one thing for football. Baseball, basketball, you nailed it. Football, you got to stay healthy. Got to stay healthy. So, again, that, that, uh, that's the inbox or the inbox. Why do I keep calling it the inbox? The mailbag, the iHelp Consulting mailbag. Check out iHelp Consulting. Seriously, I know a lot of you are small business owners. I know we got a lot of attorneys out there. You, you maybe own your own firm and you're looking to cut costs. Uh, a lot of businesses definitely need to cut costs now during the pandemic. But, you know, give old Daniel a call uh, and he'll set you up. Again, that number is 843-372-5713. It's iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? A proud sponsor of the I Help Consulting mailbag. So thanks to Keith and Hudson and uh, all you guys, Kevin, Phil, uh, that emailed in today. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, oh, well, wait a minute. I missed one. Isaiah. And this is a good one because this has been something. Uh, hey, JC, how do you feel about the football team going back with the battle gray uniforms or gray new uniforms? Absolutely love them during the Spurrier era. I, I think every now and then you want to break those out. That's fine. I, you know, the gray battle gray with the black helmet uh, or the garnet helmet, that may, that may look interesting. And I, and, I, and I think, you know, you bring up a good point here because here's my thing on uniforms. I'm not a – I've never complained about uniforms. I know they've changed year to year. I was happy that the Gamecocks left Russell Athletic and went to Under Armour because Russell Athletic was hurting them in recruiting. Um, so I thought Nike, Under Armour, whatever. Under Armour was a much more popular brand at the time. Uh, but I've never, you know, I've never been a uniform guy. It got really old under Will Muschamp. Uh, and it may have gotten, I may have gotten frustrated with it even if they were winning. Every week, you know, you, you debuted a new, you know, the, the players would vote on what the new uniforms were or what the uniforms they're going to wear that weekend were. And there's this big to do about it, but it's, you know, it, it wasn't anything special, you know? And, and I think the idea was, and again, this is another like thing, you know, during the must champ era where the intent uh, and the idea is good. Hey, let's let the players decide, you know, South Carolina doesn't really have, a bunch of traditional-looking uniforms anyway. They they tend to change it up year to year. Let's let them change it up game to game. The kids will like it and get excited. And, you know, it's for the players. And you're like, great. It's kind of like Oregon and, to a lesser extent, Maryland. But Under Armour didn't do for South Carolina like they did for Maryland and certainly not like Nike did for Oregon where, you know, it's cool because – and it is exciting because every game – you know, you got kind of a different look, a dramatically different look. All South Carolina did was uh, one year they had the script Carolina on the helmet uh, and, and, and kind of a tribute to the Morrison era. And then another tribute to the Morrison era, 
Uh, they went back to the black jerseys with Gamecocks, kind of the throw it back to 1987 look. And that was it. Uh, you know, so it didn't change week to week to week to week to week. You weren't looking for a new combo every week. And there were times, especially when they'd go to like black helmets and garnet pants and jerseys or whatever with the garnet on black or whatever, where they look like Texas Tech. And uh, that's tough. So unless Under Armour, like you said, it'd be great to go through the schedule and go, okay, well, you know, in this game, they're going to wear the battle grays. In this game, you got a, a all black look. And in this game, they're going to throw it back and, you know, and change it up week to week and not just mix and match colors that, that don't look great at all. Um, you know, that's how you do branding with that. I think is, is, is you are unique and yeah, the battle grays would be awesome. Uh, I'd prefer to have the stormtrooper look on as the standard road uniform. Every road game is going to be a big game. So I don't think that you're saving those for a big game, but, uh, you know, most of your road games, I like the Stormtrooper look. And then at home, shoot, mix it up. Uh, I know one combo that's sort of been talked about on the bigspur.com lately is the black unis with the garnet helmet. Uh, that was kind of a look they did every now and then back in the 80s. And, you know, that may be something that looks good, too. I, I don't know. I, I, Beamer in the interview, with not not the J.C. and Morgan interview, but the J.B. and Goldwater interview, uh, talked about how he was sort of more of a traditionalist with it. So I, I would not expect the same, you know, philosophy on unis this year in terms of, oh, let's just let the seniors vote. Let's go do it. So we'll see, see what happens. All right. Thanks, Isaiah. Sorry I missed that to begin with. I had clicked on your email and it didn't say it was new, but uh, glad I got a chance to answer that. Glad I got a chance to talk with you guys today about the Gamecocks and this week. Um, didn't talk much about the recruiting weekend, but there are unofficial or official visitors coming in, double digits. I think the number's at 11, uh, and then a bunch of unofficial visits. Uh, I'll go with uh, – give you the uh, the guys right now because, yeah, I, f- I forgot to talk about this, which is crazy. Uh, the, the gate crashing here at the house threw me off today. Um, but yeah, I'll go through it. First big official visit weekend, Stone Blanton, four-star linebacker from Madison, Mississippi. Long shot, probably going to Mississippi State, already committed to Mississippi State for baseball, but uh, you shoot your shot. Two commitments, Kawan Banks from Tallahassee, who's a, who's a DB, Grayson Maines, who I really like as an offensive lineman's coming in. You know, this guy's very intriguing, Nick Cole, corner uh, from Donaldsonville, Georgia, Seminole County. Kind of one of those South Georgia under the radar guys does have an extensive offer list. Uh, if he ends up in South Carolina, has been working him. He's not a guy that everybody's talked about a lot, but they've been working him and they felt good about him. So, you know, this is a guy that, you know, quietly could be a priority. Uh, they've got a four star athlete from Alabama, Aniston, Alabama, Antonio Kite uh, coming in. He has an Alabama offer, but, you know, like I've been saying, you know, Antonio Kite's a classic example of this. You bring him in, you, you, you show him a great time, you do your best, the best that you can to get him to come. But if, you know, obviously Alabama kid going to Alabama, it's a dream. Aniston's right there in northern Alabama. It's, you know, just keep going across 20 and uh, 59 to get to Tuscaloosa. But, uh, you know, what if things don't work out at Alabama and you got to go in the portal? 
You know, here's a kid that you like that you have a relationship with. Peter Kekwada, a receiver from Germantown, Maryland, four-star guy. I have my crystal ball on him right now. I I don't know. I haven't felt as good about that lately. Uh, no reason like feedback or anything. I, I'm just, I guess I've started hearing more about, you know, Jaden Gibson and the in-state guys at receiver and stuff. But, you know, this kid's really good. Another kid at receiver that you heard a lot about at the beginning that's really, really good. Not sure why he's a three-star guy is Chandler C.J. Smith from Bishop Moore Catholic in Orlando. My crystal ball still on Florida. He visited Florida, had a great visit, has a great relationship with Justin Stepp, though. So, you know, just like Jaden Gibson, Stepp's going to take a shot. Javante McClendon is a safety from Lake Gibson in Lakeland, Florida. Um, he's on commit watch. Game crystal ball goes to the Gamecocks on this one. Uh, I will caution you, though, if it gets to Sunday and he hadn't committed, that there's not a lot of guys, you know, like it used to be, you'd have your official visit. Sunday's a big day. Players go in and meet with the head coach. They commit it up. It breaks. It's out there. And Sunday's a day after an official visit weekend. You expect two or three commits. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, there are commitments that take place in those meetings, but the kid then goes and, you know, wants to release a statement on Twitter or a video or something like that. That's a function of the media world we live in. Um, you know, that's why we, one of the reasons we have crystal ball, you know, you can kind of tell. Uh, so if McClendon doesn't commit on Sunday, don't, don't freak out. I still think the Gamecocks are going to get him unless he just has a terrible visit. Ryan Brubaker is another one South Carolina feels really, really good about out of Pennsylvania. My crystal ball is still on Penn State because he's a legacy, but that could change this weekend with a great visit because he really likes South Carolina, really likes the coaches, and is interested in coming south. And then Jalen Glover, the running back from Lake Gibson, crystal ball is still on Florida State. Last time I checked with a source there, they still feel good about it, but you know, the Gamecocks have been after him for a long time. You know, he's a 5'7", 200-pound guy. Uh, but checking with sources, they, they, you know, nobody really cares about his height. They think this kid uh, is a baller. And so uh, that's a lot. You know, Sam McCall, the five-star kid from Lake Gibson, was supposed to be in. Uh, he is not coming now. Uh, Florida State has him committed. Uh you know, I, I think the Seminoles feel pretty good about hanging out with him and, and keep hanging on to him. But Carolina, you know, Torian Gray is related to Sam McCall, and so they're, they're going to stay in touch. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Carolina get him on campus at some point. Um, but I think right now Florida State's apt to hang on to him. Uh, and so that's the deal there. Uh, and, of course, these 10 are on the, the heels of – Abdul Carter, four-star linebacker, edge guy from LaSalle in Philadelphia, having a great visit. Uh, I think the Gamecocks lead there. Uh, defensive tackle, Felix Hickson. I have no idea. Felix, I have no idea why he's a three-star Hickson watching this film. Uh, from Jackson, Georgia, Carolina's in the driver's seat with this one. Got to watch out for UGA because, I, you know, I <laughs> – if I'm them, I don't know why I'm letting this kid leave Georgia. He's a D tackle. They don't grow on trees, you know. Um, and then I think I think they made some moves with Ramon Brown. I think it's going to be tough to ultimately pull him. But I think South Carolina gave him a lot to think about. 
based on my so the three officials that were earlier this week went pretty well. Then there's a group of 10 coming in and then loads of unofficials camp still going on. Uh, Kyra Horton, the uh, receiver from Clarendon Hall, uh, eight man football receiver. He's back out on campus now. Uh, I think he could commit. He got an offer actually camped at Virginia tech and got an offer from the Hokies uh, this week. So his recruitment's taken off, but, you know, a, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of 2023 guys have been popping in as well. So it, it's, it's, it's been a flurry of activity at South Carolina and recruiting. So I wanted to go over that before we, we signed off here. Usually I don't do anything. I, I end with the uh, I help consulting mailbag, but um, I wanted to make sure I at least mentioned and, and gave you guys a general overview of recruiting and uh, cause it is a big weekend and, uh, that's kind of where things stand with everybody. So anyway, that's the that's the show inside the Gamecocks podcast. Everyone have a wonderful weekend. Keep those five star ratings coming on Apple Podcast uh, and hit and hit subscribe uh, if you're on Apple Podcast. It doesn't cost anything. It just gives you a notification when we have a new episode up and all that. Again, check out the Shane Beamer interview. Uh, from the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast with myself, Mike Morgan, and Shane Beamer yesterday. It's the most recent episode. You can get that anywhere you get podcasts. All right. Thanks, Gamecock fans. Have a wonderful weekend. J.C. Sherbert signing off. I'll at you soon.